someone like Jim Smith, for example, Jim would pull you into his office, he would drop you, you'd be raging because you sort of knew he was going to drop you, but then you'd come out laughing and you'd think, how the hell did he do that? But that's part of the role, isn't it? That's part of the role of any elite sport is making decisions that are uncomfortable maybe for you or the player, but you just have to do it with, like you said earlier, that, that I'm being honest, I'm being truthful, and I think most people can deal with the truth, maybe not at the moment, but afterwards. And in the end, we, we signed the player who, who four days later had to be sent back to his club because we didn't get it done in time. It got done at 11, something like 11.01 or 11.02. So, you know, and it was a genuine, genuine attempt to do the right thing. Yeah, I seem to remember club. spending four days with that player yeah, in the gym. And then I gave, you, you, you look after this player. Yeah, we um, finished every single Watt Bike yeah, program that was, that was available. At the same time, I've done tests with you where you said, I've got 20 minutes, make a decision. Oh, and by the way, it's all on your head. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you have to do. You have to blame someone else. That's the whole point. Welcome, football fans, to Breaking Lines, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the beautiful game like never before. I'm Gary Rowett, former player and manager, joined by the insightful Dave Carolan, a man with his finger on the pulse of football's beating heart. Together, Dave and I bring you unrivaled insight, context, and a few stories from the trenches. Join us as we dissect the game, break down the plays, and explore the intricate dance between managers, players, fans, and the beautiful game itself. This is Breaking Lines, where the game is more than just a match. So here we are again. It's coming towards the end of another transfer window, and... Looming large is that final day. It's the, the countdown clock that we see on all of the kind of media outlets who are counting down the minutes, the seconds, even the milliseconds into the final gong as the transfer window finishes. What's that like that last day? Is it absolute carnage or is there a certain amount of organisation around it? Well, first and foremost, I mean, it's, you know, Jim White's got a whole show all day week and all day on it so i think it shows the interest doesn't it it shows people are so tuned into that final day but it's almost like become its own show and in, uh, and, and part of the season in itself hasn't it so a bit of the bit of the above all of the above i think it, like i've had deadline days where they're really really calm i've had deadline days where genuinely we're eating pizza at 10 o'clock that isn't that isn't a fable is actually true because at that point most of your catering has gone out the training ground and, right. and everyone else has gone home and it's about the only thing that easiest thing to get i've had ones where it's been a last minute dash at the end it's crazy isn't it i mean i'm sure we'll get into it but how how can you have how can you have probably you know, we spoke about it before in in one of the other episodes about the build-up and the amount of work that goes into a transfer window and how can you have that work maybe going on for two or three months and it all culminates in the final minutes of deadline day itself? And I think that just feels so ridiculous, doesn't it? But yeah, had different types of days. Where do, where do we start on this one? Well, I suppose I'm, I'm going to make it akin to a game of Russian roulette. It's got to be manager slash club player and agent all in some kind of weird merry-go-round where they're all trying to negotiate for each other all trying to outdo each other 
And then you've got clubs versus clubs as well, where players are potentially being offered to multiple clubs at the same time. That obviously must go on. But at what point are you getting, was it six hours out, eight hours out, 10 hours out, that you're having to say, we're either going to push through and do the deal or we're not going to do it? Well, I think Russian roulette would probably be a lot more organised deadline <laughs> day. <laughs> and probably at times less problematic. Yeah, like when, when you look at the days that, you know, I suppose you've sort of seen it from afar, but you probably haven't had many days. Well, actually, no saying that. You probably have been, haven't you, because of medicals and, and whatever. So most of like the performance team would be there, wouldn't they? The medical team would be there or certain skeleton staff would be there in order to react. <clears throat> I think the challenge you've got is Every manager, every club, more or less, wants to do their business prior to deadline day. But I think the problem is if you're a negotiator at a club, or if you're a club trying to get the best value for your player, or if you're a club trying to get the best value for a player at another club, often it comes down to, but you need some sort of leverage, don't you? And often the leverage is time, yes. particularly in the deadline day. You know, So you start to get to a point where, okay, there's eight hours to go. The seven hours to go, the six hours to go, you know, and all of a sudden deals start to open up and start to get done. And, and, and as crazy as it is, you don't get that type of negotiating opportunity within the window three weeks before, four weeks before, five weeks before. So I think that's the challenge. I mean, often you'll get a deal or two done and you'll get one or two people doing it, but then that last day just throws up all sorts of things. And, and, and I think it's a time element that's a killer. You know, like let's say we've trained on that day. So let's say we're finished for one o'clock. Let's say most of the lads are out of the building by two half, two, three o'clock. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've either got someone turning up at three for a medical or you've got a player leaving. And then all of a sudden, a club rings up at four, five o'clock to try and do a deal for your player. And you sat there now having to make a decision, a very, very crucial decision under a limited time constraint. And I think that's the bit that causes all the chaos and the carnage. And of course, someone buys one of your players, you've got to go and buy another player. So now you've got a window where you've got to try, you know, all those players that you thought you might be interested in, suddenly now you've maybe got the money to go and do it or the position to go and do it. And it's just whether you can tie all of them in together and I think that's a that's a that's a challenge you haven't don't even have time to eat the pizza that's the problem <laughs> yeah once the sports science and performance staff are out that pizza's getting demolished don't worry but yeah you should yeah you're trying to tell players not to eat pizza oh no 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 you're no. Lot of the first in yeah well I suppose pizza gate is another another story <laughs> for another day but you must have war gamed out all of those bits though like if if you know a high profile player or one of your players who's maybe not being in your team so much, who may have been offered out to to other clubs as being available for transfer or for loan or whatever, you you must have a a strategy around. Well, if that player is to leave, we have to move for these types of players at other clubs that you'll also have known about because their clubs will have been doing the same thing, offering players out who are potentially surplus to their, to their requirements. So it. It must be a game of, well, these are the players that we want to go and get and here's the players we're willing to release. And then you're kind of balancing both of those, really? Yeah, and I think that's what you tend to do. I think, obviously, you have a plan going into deadline day. 
you have a number of staff there ready to react and, and help in that sense. Often the owner or the chief exec or the director of football are there. Some, some clubs don't like it. Some clubs, you know, the director of football or the chief exec will tend to stay away if they can because they don't want to get involved in those last minute deals because often that's where you probably don't get the right value or, or it's, it's impulsive decisions. It, again, you can, have as, you can have as extensive a plan as you want, but it's amazing some of the things that, that crop up. I'm just trying to think back to some of the deadline days that, that I've had. You know, we've had it where you have a player that you know is available. Let's just forget players going out for a second and you want to bring a player in. You have a player you know is available and you don't want to do that one yet because you know you want the next player that might just be thrown away by a Premier League team and you might get him. So you've maybe got to phone that player at three o'clock on deadline day to convince him to come. That player then has to make a decision and that player isn't making a decision early because he might have four or five Premier League clubs who are, who are saying they're interested as well. So right. all of a sudden, that, the day starts to tick on and you've got to start to make a decision. Okay, are we going to get this player X who we think is going to make such a massive difference? Or are we going to have to take the player we think will be okay, but not perhaps an exciting one? And it's those little things you have to weigh up. And you get to the point as a manager where you almost have to go, oh, do you know what? Let's just do the player that we can do. And sometimes there's a little bit in your mind that you perhaps don't necessarily want to do, want to sign that player because you don't think he's going to make the difference, but you need that position and you need that player in there. So, And you can't be left without either of them because you go for the one that potentially comes on the market late, but if that doesn't happen, you're not getting the other one either. And that's, a gam- and that, and that's the, that's in, intrinsically, that's the gamble. You know, you basically sat there saying, do we wait and gamble on the better player? Or, do we, or at what point do we take the player that we know we can get but perhaps don't want? I mean... I've had players before travelling to the training ground, unfortunately, because you have to do it that way, where I've almost thought, I'm hoping that at some point we can probably ring them and say, look, we, we can't sign you for whatever reason and we've got the player that we really want. But ultimately, you know, that player's getting closer and closer to the training ground and you sat there going, oh my God, what do I do? Have you ever purposely sent someone the wrong postcode? <laughs> no, but I've heard a few clubs, I've heard a few stories of gates. players. I've heard a few stories of players travelling down to a club hours and then hanging around on the sort of periphery of the city waiting to find out where they're meeting. And I've had clubs, I've heard of clubs ringing that player and saying, look, we, we're not signing you anymore. Something's gone wrong or... Or, or they've gone for a medical and they've just left them away from the club for now. Because, of course, once the club and once the player and his agent and his advisor or whoever get into the training ground or, or enter the training ground, you, you're then in a position where you feel like you've got to sign them. So, yeah, it, it's not easy. It's not an easy scenario. And, and, and I think it makes it doubly complicated by the fact that all the fans of whatever club you're at are desperate for news of multiple signings you know but i think the fans get involved in that as well i think the fans add to that but not intentionally but the fans add to that pressure as well because if you're at a club there is a feeling that you should do something on deadline day and i think sometimes as a as an organization you have to stay strong to whatever you believe because there's certainly a lot of external pressure to to bring players in you know that's that's for sure well, we certainly saw with one player who was 10 minutes from the training ground, but it took him three hours to make the last 10 minutes up as he was 
I suppose maybe his agent or his club were also hoping that they could get a last minute deal what, what position was somewhere this else. This, this was a, a forward player. Right, okay. I think back. Yes, despite many phone calls of we're only 10 minutes away, it took him three hours to finally get in the building uh, as yes. rumours of other people going in for him started circling. Yeah. And then eventually he gets into the building and you sign that player. But what, what about that last, you know you've got a deal 95% done. Yeah. Are, are agents then potentially going to try and better that move? Or does it really just depend on the agent? If, if they're a scrupulous one, they'll follow through and they'll be honest with the deal? Or Yeah, no, I think it, I think it varies. I think every... I think the problem is it's like anything. You can blame, you can blame one faction, can't you? You could say, you know, like an agent's trying to get a better deal for the player, but often a player might be saying, look, I want to go to a better club if I can. Yeah. You know, or a club might be saying, we've had a better offer. For, you know, basically it all, it all boils down to everyone's very selfish in that moment, aren't they? Like you want what player you want as a manager. The club want to do the deals that they want to do that fits them financially and everyone else trying to do the same thing. I mean, I've, there's a lot of edge in your bets, that's for sure. I remember an agent saying to me, look, you need to speak to the player. So I've rang a player on deadline day. I thought it was a really top signing for the club that I was at at the time. I thought, wow, if we get this player, we're, we're, you know, we're in a great position. It was about three o'clock, I think, on, on deadline day. So you're thinking, we've got plenty of time, we've got eight hours. Because you can do a lot of it remotely if you need to. You don't have to always have a medical. You know, you could sign a player remotely and as long as you get the paperwork in, you're fine. Yeah. And I had a conversation with a player. Oh, the conversation went quite well. Obviously, in my mind. <laughs> obviously, oh, it didn't dear. go quite so well. Yeah, but obviously, the conversation went quite well. And I would imagine, looking back, it was an agent saying, look, just speak to this club in case anything happens with the current deal we got. And as far as I'm concerned, this player's potentially coming. We'd agreed the deal with a club, which often happens. At a club to club, you agree a deal. Yeah. And they don't tell you that there's another deal necessarily. And then an hour later, I am literally looking at the TV and this player has signed for a club in Germany. And I'm sat right. there going, wow, that's a bit of a curveball. So it's unlikely you're going to sign him now. So it's very, very <laughs> unlikely. But the player was obviously in Germany. They're obviously thinking he's going to sign for them. Or he might not have been in Germany, but the chances yeah. are he's probably in Germany. Didn't notice the foreign ringtone. Yeah. That would have been a giveaway. <laughs> and you're sat there thinking, okay, well, what do I do now? So that's a classic example. So you think you've got a player. You've agreed it all with a club. You've spoke to the player. You're just waiting for the player to say, yeah, I'm signing. You know, that's all you're waiting for. Literally so simple. And everything else is done. And you're now sat there at five, six o'clock in the evening. Now thinking, wow, what was plan B or plan oh, C dear. or plan yeah. D? And you've got four or five hours to execute it. So... Especially yeah. as you, you may have, in the intervening time, let somebody else go because you're bringing someone else in. So yeah. even in that hour, somebody else could have been released, signed for another club, and now you're essentially two players now. Well, that was a, I mean, that's a, probably the one that sticks out for me. And, and I remember, because certain countries, I mean, I'm going to get some of the technicalities, I'm sure, wrong. You know, typ typical manager, I'd have, been, I'd have probably been a bit bamboozled by that stage of the, the transfer window, just hoping we can do anything. but. I remember a player we had going out that was going to a different country that used a different system. And they had to register the player, I think, by half ten. Their, their, their system meant you had to register the player by half ten. The player that we wanted had to be registered by 11. So I'm sat there at quarter past ten 
and I'm saying to the staff at the club, right, if we let this play, because it was a like-for-like like signing and we couldn't afford for, to have nobody. Yeah. And I said, right, if this, if, if this sign, it, is it going to go through, basically? Can you guarantee me this is going through? Because if it's going to go through, I'll let that one go and then we'll do this one. And of course, you're talking about now you're into the last hour of the window. And, and it's amazing how long things take at that point. You think things can be done in instantly, but it's never that simple. So anyway, so we, so we end up letting this player go and he was a good player. You know, it wasn't one that you necessarily wanted to let go or, or let go easily. But I thought, you know, for the dynamic of the team, it may be worth letting him go and bringing this other player in. So we let this one go. And then all of a sudden, I'm trying to sign this other one and it's going on and on and on. It's getting closer to 11. It's oh, getting no. closer to 11. It's getting closer <laughs> to 11. And it's literally like 11 o'clock and I can just remember the panic in the room of all the paper. Well, we can hear his printers going and faxes going. And, there's the countdown uh, clock the countdown going, clock going in your head. And, and, there's point, <laughs> and there's a point within this, I'm sat there and I'm thinking, this isn't getting done. This oh. isn't getting done. And I'm just thinking, this is an absolute... And hey, it looks... You know, it's not... It's just the way it works. It will happen so many times. I think a Premier League team at the time did something similar and didn't get their player registered. So it happens all the time. But it's that horrible feeling of, oh, no, what have we done? You know, just, yeah. just because that's the type of thing that happens. And in the end, we, we signed the player who, who four days later had to be sent back to his club because we didn't get it done in time. It got done at 11, something like 11.01 or 11.02. So, you know, and it was a genuine, genuine attempt to do the right thing yeah, I seem to remember club. spending four days with that player yeah, in the then gym. I gave, but you, you, you look after this player. Yeah, we um, finished every single what bike yeah, program that was, that was available. That was horrible. But yeah. uh, I think people would work this out who this player was. But <laughs> and, and I've got a really good relationship with a player, and it was that was probably one of the toughest yeah. moments I think or periods because you've got a player that's desperate to be at your club. You know, it's a pretty good move for the player, and you're sat there thinking. How on earth do I tell the player that the club he said bye to, he's now got to have to go back again and do it and, and say hello. Say hello. Basically. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so look, I think, that, I think that's probably a very good example of how chaotic the transfer window can be. Yeah. And it can look so unplanned from the outside, but there's genuinely a lot of work goes into it and there's genuinely a lot of planning, but for some reason... It just, that window just always seems, or most windows just always seem to come down to the last few hours for the teams and clubs. However much a cliche it is, I suppose, having all your ducks in a row going into the last day at least allows you to make hopefully the best decisions you can with all of the information available. But suddenly you get a phone call that a player is available that you never thought maybe <clears throat> would come to you or be made available. Does that? create another sense of kind of jeopardy where it's like we hadn't planned for this right now that it is available can we do anything and what are the knock-on effects do, yeah. do they ever happen yeah look i think or do we it, see those happen? yeah i think if you if you worked on common sense and good planning you would get to the day before the last day you would sit there at 10 o'clock in the evening and go right if we haven't signed anyone or whatever business we've done that's what we do. That's all we're doing. But of course, everyone's looking for the opportunity to strengthen their team, aren't they? Everyone's looking for that last player that you think, you know, it's like an endless jigsaw, isn't it, with one piece. There's always one piece missing. <laughs> <If you're laughs> Never-ending jigsaw. You know, if you're the chief exec, you're probably saying to the manager, well, hang on a minute. 
You said the last person was the missing piece of your jigsaw. You, We've had yeah. jigsaws with only two pieces, though, in the past. <laughs> yeah, so someone keeps, still taking, one piece missing. someone keeps taking the piece out of the box. But that's the reality, isn't it? Like most clubs, most managers, most sort of directors of football, you always want that last player that you think can make the difference, and rightly so. And, that, you know, that's the expectation of the fans is, we, like, can we sign that player who we think can make the difference? So I think good planning is crucial leading up to that last day. I think, like you say, the challenge is always you get that one phone call out the blue that is a player that you thought you couldn't sign. So maybe, let's say we're working at a championship club. This is not a real story. This is not like a friend of mine was working at a championship Let's say we're at a championship <laughs> club, yeah? Because we're obviously not at the moment. Yes. And you've got a Premier League club who, you've got a Premier League player, let's say a striker at a Premier League club. And he's had two or three other Premier League clubs saying they're interested. His club will let him go if they can sign the player that they want. So there's a, so it's like a chain of a house, isn't it? It's so like this knock- is the domino, yeah. This is domino chain, effect. Yeah. yeah, domino effect. So, so you're sat there and you find out that maybe that player would choose you in the championship. So at this point, you're going, right, this player is going to make the difference. This, this is the missing link for us. This is a player we've been looking for for years. And all of a sudden, you're waiting. You're waiting. Yeah, no, I think he'll, I think he'll come to you. Right, okay, right. You've got to speak to the player. So I speak to the player. Player edges his bets. Yeah, I'm really interested. I just want to play. You know, blah, blah, blah. So you're sat waiting and he gets to three o'clock and he gets to four o'clock and he gets to five o'clock and suddenly you start seeing some rumours of players going to that club and you're thinking, well, that needs to happen before that can happen. Yeah. And, and you're just sat there waiting. And if that player can make such a difference, I don't care who you are, you're going to give it a reasonable amount of time to wait. You might even sign someone else and still know that this player you've just signed, maybe, if you can sign this other player, he's probably not going to play loads. But you've just got to think about how can you make But you can't be better. left with nothing. So you're going to But have you can't to, be yeah. left with nothing. You know, and I've been in scenarios where you get to 10 o'clock and you're still waiting for that player and all of a sudden you get a phone call. Now it's off, it's done. They're not going to sign. The, the, player, the, the medicals fell through on the player they yeah. were signing. That's it, they're not going to let him go. And of course, the Premier League clubs hold the upper hand because they can just leave. They can keep the player. They can say to the player, look, you're still going to play. There's so many factors with it. And all you can do on that last day is you can have as many of the recruitment team there, as many as your own technical staff there, the medical team, the performance team, ready to... to Make sure that your protocols are in place. Make sure you've got a medicals booked and ready. But again, that's the sort of thing. You book a medical out. You don't even know whether a player's going to be there to do the medical, but clubs have got to edge their bets. And I think med- medicals on the last day are notoriously difficult mm. because the pressure is, is so much greater. You, you can't necessarily take your time. You're going to have to make fast decisions. Hopefully you've got consultants on the end of a phone but everybody's got medical consultants on the end of the phone on transfer deadline day. Yeah. Hence their fees that go towards the chalets in, the, in, <laughs> in Switzerland for skiing. But I don't think you ever want to get to medicals late on a transfer deadline day. But before that, I suppose, there's, there's going to be a negotiation. We often hear about you know, personal terms have been agreed and then the clubs are discussing fees or the fees being agreed and then it's personal terms. Like, 
is there any order that they happen in? Is it the fee first? Because if the clubs can't agree a fee, then the personal terms don't matter. Or are both of those happening at the same time? Does one take precedence? Because if the player doesn't get what he wants, he, he ain't going to come anyway. Yeah, most of those are actually fairly, I'll say fairly simple. I'm not involved in all of those elements. But I think most of those are fairly easy because if it comes down to that last day, usually either someone else has agreed it previously. So, you've just, so you know exactly what it looks like, the parameters. or a club are edging their bets because they've got a player coming in. So that, so that it's in their interest to make sure that, you know, it's feasible to do the deal. So often, again, if it's a Premier League player, usually it's going to be a loan, isn't it? Because, yeah. of course, to afford the wages or to afford a transfer fee at that point, it's quite difficult. And then the medicals become a little bit more complex and complicated and time-consuming. So often it's a loan deal, which you can do. If a player's been playing or been on the bench for a club, then... You know, you can do it fairly simply, can't you, if you have to, because it's not a long-term commitment yeah. to the club financially. So it's so difficult. I mean, look, what, what have your experiences been? Like, you, you've been sat in there waiting for a player to turn up, and you've had those moments where you've got to try and do the testing and, and, and assess how fit the player is. From your perspective, how chaotic... That must look far more chaotic on deadline day than... You would think. You mean it looks chaotic most of the time? Well, I was going to say, yeah, it doesn't look chaotic most of the time. But yeah, what, what's your take on those deadline days, seeing everyone scurrying around in an office? It must look quite surreal. Yeah, it's, it's almost in some ways a little bit clinical because you as a team, a medical team, performance team, will have got the nod that there's going to be something happening at X amount of time. Yeah, let's say it's going to be at five o'clock, we're going to have to do the medical, and it's half six and nobody's still turned up. So you know something's going on. But as that time shrinks away, I think the best way we describe it nowadays is that you've, if you've done your due diligence around all your benchmarking and things that you're willing to accept, and if you've got experienced people in the room who can make good decisions, it's not too difficult a process because you know what you're willing to accept in terms of a range of scores on various tests somebody who's got good experience on doing a medical will be able to go in and know whether look, the player's good. Let's say it's an older player that they'll, they'll accept certain things as wear and tear as being okay. But I suppose what's become more apparent over the years is reliance on diagnostics and consultants to now back up decisions is that signing off on multi-million pound players is not something that everybody is comfortable with unless they're <clears throat> basically given not necessarily you can't ever give a hundred percent assurance but you want to get as close to that and maybe you're you're going to be looking for that to be backed up with an mri scan or a consultant's report on some of the medical stuff and certainly that we're not seeing any horror stories around some of the performance tests that we do but then at the same time, I've done tests with you where you said, I've got 20 minutes, make a decision. Oh, and by the way, it's all on your head. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you have to do. You have to blame someone else. That's the whole point, Dave. But uh, yeah, look, you're right. And I think that some of those decisions are really difficult, aren't they? Because it's not just, not just a manager. It's not just a player, agent, director of football, chief exec, or whoever it is, the owner. It's also like the medical team and the performance team. It's like, it must be a really difficult scenario. If you've got a player, let's just imagine it's eight o'clock, you know, you're doing a medical with a player um, or you're doing a testing and you're not happy with the testing, but yet you know deep down that if you turn around and say this player's not right or this player's not, you know, 
that's a difficult decision to make, isn't it? You've got to be brave enough now to, to make that decision knowing that the club probably won't then sign anyone else because they won't have time. And there's all sorts of pressure, isn't there? You know what it's like. We're, us managers, we're on going, look, just get him through the medical. Get, like, I need a player. And the club's going, look, you need to make sure he's right because if he's not, we're not wasting the money on him. And, and, and so, therefore, there's so many little things going on, isn't it? But, again, I, you guys are under pressure as well to make the right decision. Well, making the right decision it comes in two ways, doesn't it? You know, making the right decision objectively around the medical and making the right decision around the team and the club. For example, if you're a team that's struggling and you need a striker and one walks through the door who you think, this doesn't look great on the medical, but he could be the difference in keeping us in the division. At some stage, you might have to Dave, look... we've never been in relegation trouble. Let's make the stories realistic. Okay, right, okay. <laughs> Imagining everyone. <laughs> but yeah, effectively, you know that the decision is potentially bigger than the medical. Yeah. It's got greater impact because sign the player look after him in the right way. Hopefully he gets through to the end of the season and scores you some goals mm -hmm. and you stay in the division and people keep jobs. It's as real as that. It's not just whether we win a football game. It's whether in four months' time we've accumulated enough points to stay in a division or similarly that you get into a promotion situation. So I think making critical decisions around the medicals are based on A, having good objective standards that you're willing to accept in the medical but also having the experience and knowledge to know that even when something isn't potentially perfect it can be good enough and we have to make those decisions again in the light of putting everything on the table yeah. listening to all of the stakeholders you're obviously going to have pressure from a manager who wants a player a chief exec or a board who don't want to spend money on a player potentially could get injured. So yeah, we're probably left in a situation where nowadays we'll be pretty, in terms of a report, let's use a traffic light system or something like that. But if you end up with too many ambers and reds, obviously it's not gonna be a good decision. There's a lot of risk. But if a player has been playing pretty regularly or they're relatively young, there's less risk. I think it's when you're getting to those older players who may have an injury history, haven't been playing, suddenly the risk is going through the roof and then it comes down to how much as a collective group we're willing to take. And I think it's a great point you make, but it's, I think it's quite situational, isn't it? But not just a decision around the player. It's not just a decision around, is this the one we want? It's a decision around what does the team need? How desperate are we? You know, do, could we get someone short term that maybe can fill a gap that might not be a long term signing? And, and so there's so many factors that go into it, isn't there? I think coming out of management and, and coming away from a club and thinking about some of these issues, I think one thing that you would say is if we've ever been in these positions, you know, clarity is so important. So as a club reviewing a transfer window and looking at things that went well and things that didn't, you know, didn't go so well and how we can maybe make those processes better. Because actually, often if you go into that window, I mean, I've had it before where, you go into the window thinking you know roughly what the parameters are and you get to four o'clock. I've tried to sign a player but been a little bit short on the fee required and the owners come in at like, say, five o'clock and go, oh, why don't we just pay that? 
let's just get it done. I wonder why. And, and you sort of sat there as a manager thinking, really, like as a club, you know, we should know roughly what our... I know not everyone wants to give, you know... It, some owners will say, if I say to you, you've got two million quid, you're just going to spend that two million quid on deadline day, regardless. So, so I understand it from an owner's perspective or a club's perspective that you still have to justify as a manager what you want to do and why. And, and maybe the fee is not so important. It's more of a justification of it and each one's individual. But I think having clarity of what you can achieve and how you want to achieve it. The clubs that do the best business seem to be the ones that stick with that all the time. And they don't seem to change if they just seem to have a model that they will be very, very inflexible with. And actually, that's probably the best way of going into, into a window. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, we'll come back to have a look at the review of the deadline day windows when we get to uh, the end of the month. Nice. Looking forward to it. Now, one of the biggest challenges for any manager or head coach in their role is obviously picking the team. But one of the, one of the downsides has got to be while you pick 11 to go out and start the game, you've also got a squad that's not being selected and potentially players that you're going to have to drop out of the team. How does that manifest itself? Are you a day before the game, pull the guy into the office and let him know he's not starting? Or is it the team just gets dropped an hour and a half before the game? Well, of course, the first thing I think we need to clarify is, of course, we're not dropping the player. We're, rest, we're resting him. Uh, we're rotating the squad. Not selecting. We're tactically changing things. Okay. Um, You're you've dropping done, him. You've done really well, <laughs> but I'm just going to go down a different route today. The game dictates a certain type of player. And yeah. it's not you. And then you. the player doesn't get back in for another 10 games. Yeah, look, yeah it's not you, it's me. Yeah, I might be wrong. Look, there's so many different, there's so many different ways of doing it. There's so many different ways that you read other managers doing it. So I think whilst we would all use similar methods, I think it has to be a little bit of authenticity there of, of how you want to do it. You know, I think the game has changed, hasn't it? So I thought you were going to use a rugby terminology there, Dave, say the starters and then the finishers. No way. But, but, but the truth of the matter is that's how it is, isn't it, nowadays? You know, you look at a game and, and often, previously, you might have had one or two subs, three subs, four subs, whatever. You know, you've now got multiple subs, multiple uses of those subs. Yep. You're going to change the team more frequently. You're going to use those fresh legs and, and different tactical opportunities on the sideline within the game to change hopefully the performance and the outcome of the game or maintain the performance and the outcome of the game and often from sort of half time onwards usually I mean that's usually the golden line isn't it let you, you try not to make changes before half time often I mean I have done it before uh, but you try not to and then you start to look at how you're going to impact the game so how do you drop a player or how do you leave a player out? You know, one thing I've always, you know, when I went into management, I always looked, it's probably not the best thing to do sometimes, but you always look back on your own experiences as a player in that position. I always think back to how did people do it to me and what did I like? Now, the challenge with that, of course, is you're only getting one person's perspective and you're treating everyone else exactly the same. Yes. And that's obviously dangerous. However, that's the easiest way to, to look at it. How did it make me feel? How was I dropped? How did different managers do it? And I can remember, I can remember 
someone like Jim Smith, for example, Jim would pull you into his office, he would drop you, you'd be raging because you sort of knew he was going to drop you, but then you'd come out laughing. And you'd think, how the hell did he do that? He just had this brilliant way of turning your emotions around and creating a bit of a joke about it. quite a serious scenario because, you know, I was the sort of player, if I was left out, I was like, I was devastated. Yeah. And I was raging. It was like, ruin your week, it'd ruin your weekend. And that's just how it was. So I, I look back to those sort of moments and I had other managers. So, so I suppose with Jim, I understood it. I didn't like it, but the fact that he told me made me at least, you know, I could come out of the office laughing because I'd, I'd at least been able to have that conversation with him and, and, and he'd had been able to sort of manipulate me into thinking, <laughs> into thinking he was right. Great management. Great management, great yeah, man management. Yeah. You know, you don't get that as much nowadays, do you? So, and then I would have other managers that I've, I'm thinking about. I can't really remember individual ones, but often that would, would just literally name the team. Yeah. And you're either on, in the team or out of the team. But if you were dropped, that would make you feel horrendous in the dressing room. Like you'd have a sinking feeling. You might have an inclination about it. You might, you might suspect it. You know, if you'd made a mistake the week before or you'd, you'd had a poor game or you could see that a lot of goals a defender or whatever, yeah. you might feel it coming. But often... The signs were there. The signs were there. <laughs> but you would kid yourself and you'd still be annoyed. You'd still be frustrated. And the fact that it was in the dressing room or in the meeting or whatever close to the game and no one had said anything would make me feel worse. You know, and, and, and so therefore you sort of judge it a little bit around those parameters. Now, if you're consistent with that, or if you've had managers that were consistent, maybe, maybe you'd get used to that over a period of time. Maybe you'd just go, well, that's what he does. He does it with everyone. You know, he does that with everyone. He explain it. You hear different managers do it different ways. But I would often try to tell a player. I, I would actually feel, and I'd actually feel better myself. I would always want to give the player that honesty of, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. You know, I might not give the player a window of opportunity to have too much of a conversation at that point because often it'd be quite close to, to match day. Or yeah. I might, you know, whenever I name the team, basically, I would try to tell the player before I name the team, whether that's at training on a Friday, whether that's in a hotel on a Friday, whether that's in a hotel on a Saturday, whether that's at the main ground on a Saturday, I would always find those moments to, to do it. Yeah, the opportunity to speak to the player in such a way that they have enough time to deal with it, but not necessarily too much time to create a, a situation where you're getting into a long drawn out conversation about either the team, the selection, the tactics, you know, their future, their past and whatever else. Yeah. And often you would, there'd be different ways of like different scenarios or different circumstances or different timings creates a different conversation, doesn't it, as well? I mean, most of the conversations are fairly similar. But let's say, for example, you're naming a team on a Friday, a training ground. You know, you might have done some work in a week. that You might have sort of... Play, players understand how you work, don't they? So, for example, recently we would do some of the tactical work on a Thursday and I would maybe name a couple of different teams on the Thursday and players would start to work it out from that Thursday morning on yeah. or maybe even earlier. So they'd have, an, they'd have a bit of an understanding. Friday, if you were going to name the team and specifically do the work on a Friday, then that one always would be the one where the player had more opportunity. So you'd pull the player in before training. So let's say we're training at half 10. 
you would want to pull the player in at maybe half nine, quarter ten. Sometimes you'd be say to one of the members of staff, right, do me a favour, can you go and get so-and-so? And that player wouldn't turn, maybe cutely knows he's probably going to get pulled, so turns up at like one minute to ten <laughs> to give you the least opportunity. Yeah. But... So, you know, as a member of staff, you'll have done it before where you're sort of hanging around in the canteen and, and you're waiting for that opportunity and he sits down with seven other players and you're thinking, oh my Just God. Just surreptitiously hanging around, <laughs> nothing else to do except wait for you to be alone. I'm going to ask you that question. <laughs> yeah, how, how does that feel? But so you would often, you know, ask a member of staff, look, can you go and grab so-and-so? Because you, you, you don't want the manager to grab you in the middle of the canteen and walk together back to the office i don't know why but that would feel a bit awkward yeah so you'd have to grab a player the player would come into the office he'd walk through all the other staff so it's probably a little bit of a strange feeling it'd be interesting to ask a player actually how they would feel doing it because it's not the sort of thing that you necessarily would they'd sit down you'd shut the door and you'd have a conversation but now of course you're in the office the door's shut you've probably got half an hour before training and sometimes the conversation would be a minute Sometimes a conversation would need, you know, sometimes you'd tell a player and a player would go, no, that's fine. I understand it. Yeah, it's probably the right decision. And they'd take it on the chin. Sometimes a player would go, well, I don't, I don't agree with it, but I respect your decision. And they'd want to get out of the office as quick as they could because yeah. it probably wasn't, they probably weren't as comfortable. It's a little bit uncomfortable there. sometimes, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a little, yeah. what, really? Well, that's how you felt. Well, I never <laughs> Why got, were you in there for so long then? I, I never got dropped. <laughs> Yet. You were close. No. So, but I had some great performances. In day. Yeah. So, but if you look at it, you look at a player, and then you would get the odd player who you sort of, when, you, when you're dropping a player, you kind of know the personalities. Yeah. And you knew. I, I'll be honest, I would never drop a player based on how they would react. I, I think some managers would have that in the back of their mind if you didn't like those scenarios some managers don't like that type of scenario you know, never really bothered me i would pull a player in and, and and if that player sometimes very rarely but that player would then go well i don't agree with you <laughs> so you're now in that <laughs> so you're now in an awkward position as a manager where you're kind of going well i get that and you're trying to give the player a little bit of reason and rationale because i think that's fair isn't it if a player's worked hard for you and put his you know put himself on the line for you often. Dropping a player is not a nice, you know, you don't want to do that. You genuinely would care about like 24 players in your squad. Of course. So it's not a nice feeling to feel like that player feels let down and feels like, so, but often you'd end up having a debate with a player in there and you'd be thinking, this is going on a little bit too long now and I'm going to have to try and bottom this out. So there'd be times where you'd have to say, look, I get it. You, I, don't, I get you don't agree with me. I get you don't understand the rationale. That's fine. Come and see me. Let's just get through the weekend. You know, be as professional as you can be. And then Monday, let's crack on, you know, and we'll have a conversation Monday and have a little bit more. And then, and then of course, after training on a Monday, you've either won the game so you were right or you've lost the game and you might have been wrong. So you at least have a chance to react. But, but that you would then have a bit more of an opportunity to sit down with a player, maybe a player be a bit calmer you'd be able to think about it a little bit more. So there's so many different ways of doing it. But I think for me, it was all, it, it was as much for me than it was for the player. You know, if I hadn't told the player, it would sit badly with me. Right. And I'd be entering into a really important day's training or a really important match, still thinking a little bit about that I should have pulled the player or I should have told the player. So, so often for me, you know, 
as much as it was important for me to tell the player, it was also important for me to to get off my chest and, and to make that decision. And then I could move on as well. Was that your sense of fairness towards people? I, I, I think so. I think, you know, that's why I'd always want to tell a player. That's why I'd always, a member of staff, I'd always want to have that conversation face-to-face. Because I think if that's how you deal with it, and I, look, if you do it a different way, that's your prerogative. And there would have been managers far more successful than me that would have just literally named the team and yep. not told the player. Because some managers would think, you know what, like I'm, my job is to pick the best possible team. It's not personal with a player. And if I explain that to the players at the start of the season, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do that every single week. And if you need a reason, come and see me Monday. But, you know, I would just, I don't know, maybe that's just me. I would have that open door policy that I always wanted a player, if he didn't agree with something or he didn't feel it was fair, that he could come and see me. He could come and see me and have an honest conversation and... and so that works both ways, doesn't it? You, you then, if you're asking players to, to work hard and, you know, put themselves on the line for you physically in games, asking players to play injured, asking players to, you know, to go the extra yard for you and you want them to do that for that culture, I think therefore you have to treat them with as much respect as you'd expect to be treated with yourself. So, so that's how I've always done it. I've, I think probably 99 times out of 100, I've pulled the player and told them. again. Sometimes it might be at a hotel. I mean, you know, some that would be far more awkward than you imagine. So on a Friday in a hotel, I know I've got, let's say on a Saturday morning, I know the players are coming down for breakfast and that player walks past with a group of like 10 other players. Oh no. And you're thinking it's not the right time, you know, or like the player walks down in his own, you think, oh great, I can just like come and have a chat. And it's still, you know, it's not a nice conversation or not a nice feeling, but... I think players deep down, my experience was you might not like it at the time, but at least you respect the fact that you've been told. Yes. Yeah, but you, but you also ways, know at some stage that that conversation is going to be held potentially with one of your teammates for you to go either back into the team or regain your place because that's the ebb and flow of a squad and a season that people, more often than not, there's very few players nowadays who are going to go through the whole season playing 46 games or 50 games without either form dipping or injury happening or tactics, mm-hmm. meaning that you do need to make a change as a manager. Yeah, and I think players understand that, don't they? They understand that it's not just them. You know, I don't think play. I mean, look, when I was a player, and you're always going to think a little bit selfishly in that moment, like, what, like how does it affect me? And I'm not worried about someone else getting dropped. You know, like as a manager, you might say, well, look, you know, I've done the same with so-and-so. And a player sometimes goes, well, I don't really care about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's about them. And you understand that. It's about them and how it affects them and their families and whatever. And, we, and we've had it also at lower league level where the player might be on a decent appearance money. And actually being dropped has a big impact on Huge. his financial situation for that week or for that month or whatever. So there's, there's all sorts of different reasoning. But, but I think as a manager, all you can do, or a head coach, all you can do is... Do it how you think it's the right way of doing. It's never going to be perfect. And of course, part of any leadership position is making big decisions. And it's having to have those. Un- you know, I, I went into it thinking my job is to have uncomfortable conversations and you can never shy away. No matter how uncomfortable they are or no matter how bad you feel. Like, like I listened to an interview with Pep Guardiola the other day and he was talking about Calvin Phillips. and. 
you know, he signed Calvin Phillips. He's signing for a lot of money. Calvin Phillips is going there thinking, you know, of course they've got a great squad, and but he thinks he's going to play a part, and every week he's not playing or every week yeah. he's not involved. And Pep Guardiola said, I feel terrible. And obviously you, you have to just take that interview on the face of it, but I feel terrible because I'm sure he probably has a good relationship with him. He doesn't necessarily want to not play him, but the circumstances around it are maybe he's realised it's not as good a fit as he thought or for, or for whatever reason, who knows. But it's those uncomfortable conversations. It's those uncomfortable moments every day where you really like a person, but you might have to take him out of the team or you might have not played him for two months. And I've had, I've had better relationships with some players that are not in a team I've dropped five times than a player that's played every week. Yeah. You know, but, but it doesn't make it any less difficult. You know, it makes it probably much, much harder to drop a player you really like than a player you perhaps haven't got that relationship with. But, but that's part of the role, isn't it? That's part of the role of any elite sport is making decisions that are uncomfortable maybe for you or the player. But you just have to do it with, like you said earlier, that, that I'm being honest, I'm being truthful. And I think most people can deal with the truth, maybe not at the moment, but afterwards, potentially. So earlier you mentioned about players then being offered the chance to come and speak to you on the Monday. Do, do you often have players find an opportunity on the Monday on the training pitch, not necessarily walking through to your office, but who are going to seek that additional conversation? Or do you know players that have sort of conversation after playing poorly on a Saturday to almost avoid being dropped for the next game because they're almost preempting the conversation of you had a poor game, so I'm going to be rotating you, almost justifying the poor performance. Yeah, you get all sorts of different scenarios, don't you? Like, like we said too earlier, when you're sat in a canteen and you know, like we might have had a meeting half an hour early and I say to you, look, do me a favour, can you pull two players yeah. X and Y and send them into my office. And you, you know what it's about. You'll pull those players and tell them, no doubt some of those players will then have a conversation with their teammates and probably think, okay, well, do I, do I go? Or, or that Monday, do I go in and see the manager or do I just let it go? You know, for example, there's so many different scenarios around it. So I could, I could turn around on a Monday morning and if I'm the player that's been dropped and the lad that's took his place hasn't played well and they've lost. Do you just edge your bets and think, you know what, I won't go in because I might actually get back yeah. in the team. Or, you know, if I, if I want to go in and say something, maybe I'll just leave it. I don't know. There's spoke, there'll be so many different, you know, it's, it's such a complex scenario, isn't it, of the team dynamics and, you know, people making decisions on the spot that are right or wrong. Or, you know, you know I've said things to players that perhaps when I've come out, I mean, oh, what did I say that for? Or... <laughs> or a player's done the same, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and actually put yeah. themselves in a difficult position um, because of the emotion of the moment. So I think it, I think sometimes that Monday, everything usually is very, very different. Sometimes a player will come and seek you out because, of course, Monday is a busy day. You might have said that to a player Friday, but you probably forgot about it, you know. And at, and at two o'clock, you think that all the players have gone home, and you think you're safe, and the door <laughs> will, and the door will knock. Oh, you know, and you think, oh God, who's that? But but. Yes. Have, have you got a second, which turns into a half an hour conversation yeah. around? Which I've heard other managers, actually, I've heard other managers doing it where they've said, oh yeah, I'm busy at the moment, but just come back in 15 minutes. And they've given themselves 15 minutes to 
get out of the building. Yeah, <laughs> not, they're, not, they're not that bad, the players, or strategize around what they're going to say. So, yeah. Um, but I, again, I've just tended to deal with those situations straight away. So, so yeah, I think, look, you genuinely have good conversations on the Monday because everyone's calmed down. You've had the result. You've had the team. You've seen if Sometimes you've picked, I might have made a change and that player scored the winner. So it just depends on, you know, depends on what's happened in the game. And actually yeah. sometimes even the player will see that it's probably the right decision or it was a terrible decision. <laughs> and you've then got to try and justify that one as well. The but only look, thing that's going to count is the result really in some ways because if you change the team, they get dropped and the team loses, they're going to say, I should have stayed in the team. They get dropped and the team wins. You're justified in your decision. Yeah, of course. And, and that's... And that's why a lot of people will say, come and see me Monday. You know, I mean, I would genuinely do it because you haven't got the time there and then and the mental focus to talk for an hour on why someone's getting left out of the team. So I've often wondered, actually, it's, it's interesting. I've had members of staff before. They've probably seen those conversations happen and seen how much sort of sometimes energy goes into those moments where actually they've said, why don't you just focus on the game and pull a player on a Monday. And some managers probably would do that. And, and, and in some ways, it would make your life a lot easier to say to the players at the start of the season, right, this is how I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to name the team on a Friday. I'm not going to pull anyone because it's for the benefit of the team. It's about the three points. The team is more important than the individual player. If anyone's got a problem on a Monday, come and see me, but I'm not going to pull anyone and, and spend that time. I think if that's how you want to do it and you're quite consistent, then that probably works just as well. In fact, in some ways, it probably works better because I think if you go the other way and you always tell players, the day that you don't tell a player, um, you know, because there's the now, now you're treating me differently. Now you're treating me differently. So in some ways, it, the honesty works against you at times. And, yeah. and there has been moments where you have to make a last minute decision. You know, they're, they're genuinely, I think every manager would be lying to say that every single Thursday or Friday you know the team. Sometimes you go into a game and you think, there's one position I'm not sure of. And maybe you give yourself a little bit of time to, to let it sit in your mind. And, you know, I've done it before where I've let myself have a Friday night and think, I'll wake up the next day and I'll wait till the next morning. Yeah. You know, I'll decide the next morning. And sometimes you wake up and that decision's a lot clearer. Sometimes you're still not sure. And you can overthink things sometimes, can't you? You can justify it too much where you don't know what to. It's that kind of brain fog. You don't know what decision to make now. <laughs> so, and I've turned up, not very rarely, but I've turned up at games at, and I've got to sort of one o'clock and I need to pick the team by half one. And only once or twice and I thought, right, what's the best way of doing it? I'll maybe chat to the staff. I'll maybe yeah. make a last minute decision on it. And so you haven't got the time to pull the player. Genuinely, so I've, I've done it very rarely where I've had to name the team and that player's only found out. And of course, because you pulled people the week before, that player now feels like, why are you treating me differently? You know, and, and that would be normal. That's a normal thing to think, isn't it? Because you have to get yourselves in the mind of the player as well. So, yeah, well, so all many... players wanted to be treated the same, but secretly they all want to be treated differently as well <laughs> and, and that's yeah, yeah they all want that independent way of being managed because of their own personality their own relationships yeah that, that they have with you but yeah that's the that's the difficulty isn't it because you can't always treat everybody always the same all the time 
No, and I think, again, when you're in that position and you would do it within your department where if you want to be treated that way, you have to treat other people the same way. Yeah. And it's that little bit of... I always just think that honesty and respect go a long way. And you'd rather have a difficult conversation with someone but tell them what's happening so at least they know and at least they can compartmentalise it before you name it in front of all their peers because that's i think that's that's the thing isn't it and it's like it's like making a substitution before half time it's it, it probably feels like a player it feels a little bit humiliating to a player as a manager you just do it based on the game you're doing it based on the three points whereas a player you're thinking about your own self at that time aren't you you're yeah. thinking this is humiliating in front of a crowd or in or being dropped in front of my teammates yeah and sometimes maybe as a manager you don't think about it in those terms so yeah, I think it's very, I mean, it's very personal. It's very personal to how you want to do it. Yeah. And, and you know, there's no right or wrong. Nice. Well, let's see how we go at the next place when it comes to dropping players. <laughs> they all know how we do it now. Yeah. Not no work. secrets anymore. Have to change. <laughs> well, that's it for another episode of Breaking Lines. Deadline day decisions and what goes into getting a player into a club has always been a little bit of a mystery to fans. But despite the portrayal in the media, within the club the work is largely done way ahead of the banner appearing on a sports network ticker feed. And while it is a requisite part of the job, dropping a player out of a team never gets any easier for a manager, unless of course they have a little empathy for the situation the player finds themselves in. But individual strategies of tackling this situation persist, and choosing the wrong style with the wrong player can create more problems. Join us next time on Breaking Lines when we take you back behind the dressing room doors once more. <laughs> <laughs>